0: Great to see all of you here this afternoon. I was thinking about when I first met Kevin and then Danielle, and I was thinking Kevin's hair was a lot longer and my hair was a lot shorter. So uh, you can uh, Google that if you'd like to see some photos from about 12 years ago. Um, But at the time, I was... um, Leading Stanford tours around the world uh, with alumni and it was a great way to see different countries. And uh, the door was a wonderful place in which I really connected uh, and grew in my faith. And Kevin was a big part of that. Um, I do have friends that are here tonight, and I love it. We kind of can actually know where we met each other by where that ministry was. And so a friend tonight said, "Well, I actually joined when the door had actually just shut, and it became the next ministry." So there's been a lot of change, and uh, and I just love still being um, in touch and great friends with Danielle and Kevin. It's an honor to be here today, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. So as I usually say when I um, am asked to share in some way like this about our work here in the Bay Area, but also about what God is doing in me in the midst of this journey, um, I always encourage you to reach and see if your seats have seatbelts because we're going to cover a lot. But I thought I might just start by saying, you know, when you look at Scripture, um, there is so much that is so rich and so deep and I feel like sometimes there's gray areas and we like to talk those through. And then there's other times where it's just like blatantly black and white or very clear, right? And I always think some of those places where we might be called to be stirred to action or called to actually take a stance for God. Um, and I kind of think, well, maybe I'm being called into that or maybe I'll use the terminology of like, I feel like this might be my vocation or how I work in this. And, um, and then I look at Matthew 5:14 about being the salt and the light of the earth. And it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So when I think about our call to uh, talk about the issues that we're going to talk about today and ask this question of where is the kingdom, the reality is is that um, scripture is very clear. It doesn't say, you know, you might be the light of the world or you could be or, you know, if you have one of Tony's coffees, you might feel up to it. It actually says you are the light of the—whoa, look at that. Um, You are the light of the world and you don't even need notes. (laughs) As Danielle mentioned last week, um, she was speaking about— You know, the kingdom of God and the kingdom language and uh, who is in charge here. And I do think it's so incredible that amidst a time of like Caesar, when he literally was throwing people in jail and in dungeons with lions, um, that there was this reality that Caesar might be ruling in the circumstance, but that God was indeed ruling and reigning both then and to, to come. In Exodus, it is very clear about how it talks about the Lord is reigning forever and ever. And I think about how Jesus spoke so often about the kingdom of God. Pastor Danielle mentioned that it's uh, in Scripture 92 times in Matthew that Jesus actually mentions kingdom of God, Uh, 20 times in Mark, 46 times in Luke, and yet I do find that even as I was preparing for our talk today about where is the kingdom, I sit there and I go, you know, sometimes I just don't feel like that kind of language gets talked about very often, but the reality is that Jesus in flesh came and actually showed us what it means to walk and to live in the kingdom here and now some of you know the Christian uh, author Dallas Willard um, who has written some amazing books and uh, this was an incredible week where um, we had been following that he was very ill and uh, he actually passed away this week and his quote on him passing away uh, when he had been asked of people saying you seem like you know once you got diagnosed with cancer how are you feeling about uh, facing death and he said you know I actually feel like God and I have the kind of relationship that once I pass away it might be a while before I actually realize it. This idea that he is so living in the kingdom, living in a relational sense with God, that there would be this time where he's almost like, I'm not sure if I'm on earth or if I'm in heaven. And the other thing that we look at when we think about this term of kingdom of heaven is we definitely often think about it as a place that we're going to go. And today we're just going to look at it a little bit of what it means to actually be living in it in the here and now. So when God is so deliberate in scripture, especially in Exodus and whatnot, about saying that he is reigning forever and ever— and that he is in charge. He's also giving strong instructions about how we can experience his life in the kingdom, and some of this is what Danielle spoke to last week, which is to say that in that in Exodus, it says, my people will worship me and become a holy nation. Basically, they're called to act differently than the other nations around them, right? They're called to love God, love their neighbor, care for the orphan. This is how you will know that I am among you, scripture says. And so there's places, like in Luke 14, where we looked at last week, where it's, you know, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, even though they cannot repay you, invite them to the banquet. And I think that uh, this sense about how do we live in the kingdom now and not just wait for it to be a place that we go to is where we left off last week. And when Danielle asked me to talk about where's the kingdom, I thought, you know, if anybody wants to make this an intellectual exercise and just ask kind of the the Google Maps question of where is the kingdom? How do you just kind of get the iPhone app for that and figure out where it's at? I am the least techie person to be standing up here and talking to you about that. But I thought I would share a little bit about my own journey, about how I've kind of arrived in a place um, of trying to kind of have been asking that question, and then how God is kind of showing me through some of the work that we're doing here in the Bay Area and the people he's bringing in, how we are clearly just um, getting to be in the flow of what God is doing. So instead of thinking, what can I do and do I invite God into it, instead we look for where the flow of God is and ask if we can join it. So when I was uh, heading off to college, I actually started out wanting to be a sports broadcaster. I guess I would have been wearing a few more of these microphones. And uh, I really wanted to do the sports broadcasting thing. But I actually met 35 members of my family from Germany that I had never met before, halfway through college. And uh, started getting this sense of, I have family in another country. And what would it mean if I learned a little German and I would actually go over there and meet them And uh, through some counselors at Oregon, they actually said, you know, if you uh, changed a few classes here and there, and you took a couple international studies classes, you could actually major in international studies. I thought, wow, this is going to be really different for my household. All we talk is sports, and uh, and the weather. And uh, at some point, I just said, you know what, I'm going for it. And so I signed up for the International Studies major, and I started taking classes that were all about um, not only just issues of the world, like geography or classes about things in the world. It was more like um, looking at issues of international situations of disasters, right? I started looking into conflict resolution and what was going on in Northern Ireland and South Africa, as well as in uh, Kosovo, the Middle East. Um, I started looking at issues of uh, resource distribution and issues around water and whatnot. And I'm telling you, you take a girl who has played 14 years straight of basketball and you put her into classes about international studies, my eyes were like bugging out of my head because I, just this was so new to me. I was a kid in a candy store, but in a way that I knew that it wasn't even so much about the tests I was taking, it was about how I was getting changed in the process. All of a sudden, my basketball practices and my games, they just didn't mean as much because I was sitting there going, yeah, but did you hear about what's going on in Rwanda? Right? And that was about when I was in college and I was asking myself, what is my response to that? So a part of this journey was that then by majoring in international studies, I almost went to graduate and they said, oh no, if you have that as your major, you have to go abroad for a quarter. I'm like, that is just a terrible, terrible requirement. So (laughs) I'm going to do it. So I went on this thing called Semester at Sea and uh, it's a big ship and it takes 750 college students around the world in 100 days. And it was then that I felt like God was really opening my eyes to the big, beautiful, and also messy world. This was not a trip that we were going and hanging out in the Paris, you know, Disney worlds. This was actually being on trains going through the middle of the Middle East where I was actually meeting Kurds that were running from Saddam Hussein's persecution at that time. I realize throughout this talk I will be dating myself quite often. But anyway, um, and you know we were in Cyprus and I was talking with the Greeks and the Turkish Cypriots that live there and actually we had the unique perspective of standing on one side of the line that has divided them for over 20 years and then stand on the other side of it. And we actually saw that each group was using the same propaganda pictures so that they would continue to hate one another and not be able to live together in peace. The very same photos were getting labeled as the Turks did this and on the other side it was the Greeks did this. And it was the same photo and we got that perspective of understanding the um, miscommunication there. So it was when my eyes were really opened to injustice and to what was going on among the poor and how the law was not working on behalf of the poor and how simply in the developing world, if something happens to you, you don't run to the police, you run from the police because they are often part of the problem. So you can tell I get back from this trip and I'm all jumped, uh, jazzed and pumped up, and I see my parents and they think, oh, thankfully she's going to get a job now that she's home. <laughs> but instead, um, I did end up uh, saying I'm going to go back and get my master's, and I did my master's here in, in the area um, in international conflict resolution. And again, I was able to take more classes and really soak it in at a deeper level and really get involved in conflict resolution, which is what became my major But what was so interesting is, um, soon after that, I was horseback riding uh, with some friends up in Portland uh, on a vacation, and I actually got thrown off a horse, and uh, it was my own um, experience of kind of being Superman for a minute. I flew off, landed on my back, heard a huge crack, and my legs went numb, and uh, I was laying on the ground of this arena, and all my friends came running around me and said, get up, you know, are you feeling okay? And I said, I can't feel my legs. And again, this in my mind flashed. You know, Christopher Reeves, who used to be the old Superman. You know, he had a horseback riding accident that ended up paralyzing him for the rest of his life. And um, and so there I am, just totally concerned about what's going on. This basketball player mentality, saying, "Surely you can get up from this." Instead, I found myself on one of those um, long boards that they wrap you up on, and pretty much gray tape you to, and went to the hospital, and. They were able to release me that night. I did get enough uh, feeling back in my legs to walk again and be able to walk out of the hospital but there was clearly something going on in my back that it actually took the next 10 months for nine different doctors to figure out what was going on in my back and they didn't even want to do surgery because there was nothing to do. They didn't understand what was going on in my back. So it was during that time that I'm sitting there and I'm going, gosh, by this point I'm like 26 years old, I've seen all these things in the world, I have my faith coming as motivation behind me to really want to take a stance in something, and literally every day I'm laying on my back and I'm looking at the bumps on my ceiling and I'm sitting there going, how can I be useful? And so it was then that I actually went to church one weekend, and uh, Gary Haugen, who is the founder of International Justice Mission, was speaking, and uh, I brought my parents, and I said, oh, this is like a new church I've been going to, I'm going to bring my parents and have them hear the pastor, and all of a sudden there's this like football player like looking guy with a crew cut, and he's a lawyer from Washington, D.C., and I'm thinking, well, what is he going to say that I, I would have liked my parents to meet my pastor, and he ended up talking about the reality of what's going on in the, in the world, in the developing world, in places like Cambodia and India, the Philippines, Africa, where the issues of injustices against the poor, especially human trafficking, um, is going on where I just need... I, it was the first time I actually saw pictures of it really happening. It was the first time it came to light for me. And at the end of his sermon even more so than the images that I remembered, he gave an analogy. And for somebody like myself who had been an athlete and here I was hardly able to sit up in church because of my back injury, um, I remember him saying at the end, he said, you know, I'm a football player. I go to the gym and I work out and I lift all these weights so I can have all these muscles. So when I get out in the game of life or I get out in the game of football, I have the muscles I need to be able to play. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, that's a lot like me. I feel like I'm at the place where I have all these spiritual muscles I've built up, been in the church for quite some time, feel like I saw the world, ready to kind of go out and do something. And yet I'm sitting here, literally almost paralyzed, and asking God, how could I be helpful? And he said, you know, so I went to the gym to lift weights. But he said, but then there's those guys at the gym that always seem to know what they're doing. And they, you know, they're the bodybuilders, right? They have the gleaning muscles and they stand in the corner and they always are looking at themselves in the mirror. And they seem to know how to do the right stuff to be looking super strong. And again, I know there's a lot of people that go to gym here and nothing against bodybuilders. Just stay with me for the analogy. But what he said is he goes, you know, technically if you're just a bodybuilder, what are all those muscles for? Those muscles are just for posing, right? You get in the mirror and you kind of go, yes. And he said, in the only time when all that muscle and all that strength and all that power ever comes to bear is that, you know, a jam jar needs to be opened in the kitchen. And you run in and it's, and you pop the jam jar. And you're like, man, I'm so glad I went to the gym this week. And so his prayer for us actually at the end of his sermon was, my prayer for you is that you don't end up becoming bodybuilders who are just popping jam jars in the kitchen. For me, that started a journey of asking, well, I don't exactly know how physically my muscles are going to move forward with the questions that I feel like God is bringing up in me, but I had to start to do something. And I felt like I kept asking the question. I was living in Menlo Park at the time, and I said, how do I keep these issues of global injustice in front of me when I live in the suburbs, right? So I'm reading about these things. Things like YouTube, um, Google, all sorts of things can bring us stuff on the internet where you're hearing about all these injustices, but then you walk down the street and you're like, I don't know, the street rolls up at 6.30 at night and Starbucks is the biggest thing going. And it's amazing that we can feel this uh, tension between knowing it's going on and if we step back and try and think about God's perspective on all this, we know that that's breaking the heart of God. And so at that point, I just started saying, how could I be a part of what is breaking God's heart and trying to be part of whatever he might be doing Um, because I know it's breaking my heart too. So we started teaching a class on uh, justice in Menlo Park and just kind of got friends together and we said, let's talk about these issues. Um, and one student in the class, I raised her hand and I said, well, what's your idea about justice or what's your definition? She said, you know what? I'm here because a friend invited me, and uh, I really don't see why we need to be caring about all these justice issues, because when Jesus comes, he's going to fix it all. Literally, that dropped me in my tracks, and I thought, that is just completely opposite than I think what I was experiencing at the time. So as I was hearing the realities of human trafficking, I was hearing somebody hold up money and saying, do you believe that a $100 bill, if I were to hold it up here in front of you, can not only buy a human somewhere around the world, like in Cambodia and India and the Philippines, but now today in 2013, that can buy someone right here in the Bay Area. And I was sitting there saying, you know what, I'm sorry, but I believe when Jesus comes back, it will all be healed. But my thing is, Lord... That someday is not soon enough. And so when I started asking these questions, I thanked that student because I said, you have started to make me ask the questions, not of what's my gifting or what's my vocation or what's my calling, but I started to say, what are the questions that are keeping me up at night? What are the ways in which when I am actually unsettled, what are those places when I start noticing the tension in me that that is actually where I can't lean on my own skill or my own emotion or my own just sense of life? I really need to lean into God. And so that's when we started to ask the big questions about how could I or how could we um, become kingdom bringers. And that was a term that Danielle introduced last week and I just love because it really was this sense of standing up with God and in a certain sense being on our knees and saying, I have no idea how to move forward. Just like Moses at the burning bush of being like, God, I cannot move forward unless your power and your presence goes with me. There's no way As I like to say, this work is too big and too crazy and too dark that if God doesn't show up on our behalf, we're going to get squashed like a bug. And so again, my question is, not only how do we help just say, okay, God, may your kingdom come, but how do we experience the right now kingdom of God? How do we help usher in God's justice, God's love, God's peace right now? And I think that is the question that I love being able to um, explore with you today. So at the same time as that one student might have shocked me into the reality of this um, kind of, well, we could just all wait for Jesus to come, the other students turned to me and said, you know, Betty Ann, you've been teaching this class for four years, and you encourage us to get close to issues, but what is your issue, right? Like, you've been talking about human trafficking in a very broad sense, but what is it that you are really passionate about? And let me see if I can just, so out of that, Came the Bay Area Anti Trafficking Coalition, and I realized that there were 12 friends, and we said, "You know what? Let's hold a conference on human trafficking. Let's see if anybody's interested in learning about this together." And we had 1,700 people show up at our conference. This was in 2011. We ended up starting an organization, and today I stand before you as the executive director, and very humbled by the fact that I am actually now full time and work on this 24/7. And one of the things that I quickly came to learn in the face of such realities as we've been learning around trafficking is like I mentioned, not only do we need to ask for God's power and presence to stand with us, but this sense of how much God is behind us, right? Anytime I'm in this question and people say, gosh, Betty Ann, there's like political issues we want to get people, you know, to fight for or this or that. I said, Yeah, that's what is amazing about human trafficking and modern-day slavery, right? There's not one person that's going to stand up and maybe say, yeah, actually, I'd really like for all these slaves to be in the world. But the reality is, is that the way that we've gotten so complex in our world today, and you don't even know where your shirt was made or where the food was you're eating, what's amazed is there are many implicit ways in which we are actually contributing to the overall fuel that is the engine that is driving modern-day slavery today. So let me just throw out one statistic, right? So if California was its own state, it would be the... uh, Sorry, its own state, hopefully it is. California, (laughs) if it's its own country, would be the eighth largest economy in the world. That's pretty mind-boggling. So sitting here in the Bay Area today just with that one statistic is to realize that... What we buy here is sending a message everywhere around the world that if we are saying we want to buy all these things cheaply that are made by cheap labor, you know, that is going to be the message that we send around the world. And people are going to be like, all right, well, then we'll only give them this amount because we got to sell it for that price and we need to make a profit. So a lot of folks have been hearing about um, you know, factories collapsing in Bangladesh, and all of a sudden we're hearing that clothes that we're wearing were made by folks who are in these just horrid conditions, and they're even killed while they're on the job in these uh, buildings that have collapsed. There was an article um, just this last week about people actually starting to care about where their clothes are coming from and asking this question about what is the supply chain, how am I connected to this issue? And one of the things that I find so amazing is that when people look at me and they say, Betty Ann, I really am questionable as to whether this is happening in the Bay Area. I say, you know what? What's unbelievable is every form of trafficking that has been known to happen in the U.S. is actually happening here in the Bay Area. So if it's a question of just you wanting me to talk to you about what's happening here, I can give you cases of it happening right here in our midst, right? The exploitation of people and the control of people that is happening under our noses. Um, we had three victims or survivors speak at the Freedom Summit. All three of them had been uh, trafficked through Fremont. One had been a gal that had played soccer throughout the Bay Area and lived in Los Altos, and her parents were actually selling her out at night to um, provide services for different customers um, uh, that were in the brothels in San Jose and coffee shops. Uh, We had one gal who was in um, brothels and she had been a trafficking victim, When we had one gal who had actually, and she was in Fremont when she was exploited, and another gal was actually abducted from El Dorado Hills and she was brought to Fremont before she was rescued. So it's amazing to me how when people are are asked, t- saying, you know, Betty Ann, does it happen here? I think we all know now if you can just trust me on that one. It's happening here. But the bigger question is, and I think this happens more in faith communities than not, is that people look at me and they say, you know what, Betty Ann, so you're saying it happens in sketchy massage parlors or nail salons or restaurants where children are serving me lunch but they should be going to school. And so I, I've checked it out. I don't go there. So clearly this is the underbelly of our society now, but I don't really associate with that. So I will pray about it. And what I'm saying is that is where this conversation about us caring about the things that we actually touch in our own spheres of influence, in our own consumption habits, those are the places where there is the journey of personal transformation. I stand up here before you today and I say, I uh, just among you can say there are always things that I can buy differently or change so that I am not contributing to exploited labor in the world. I remember when I first heard about the connection between fair trade and, uh, and modern day slavery and trafficking and I thought, oh wow, I'm going to have to start wearing a lot of hemp from Santa Cruz. <laughs> I said, you know, it's just not really in my style. It's going to get really ugly. And, uh, and I said, you know what, I'm the kind of person that I'm like, I still want to be able to wear my cute jeans from Gap. But the thing is, I'm going to tell Gap the message that they shouldn't be exploiting workers to make my jeans. And the reality is a lot of cotton still picked around the world today is still made by slave labor. These are people who are working way too many hours, getting paid way too little. Uh, They're often beaten. They're often held in horrid conditions. And so we can do something about that. And things like the internet have been a way in which we can actually send those letters out immediately. After the first Freedom Summit, we sent out 70,000 emails by the people that had come, the 1,700 people that came. And Toyota and Campbell Soup came on board after that and said, we are going to make sure that by the year 2015 that our supply chains are slave-free. And those are only two examples of many companies that are coming along in that. So the reality is, is that you asked me, okay, Betty Ann, so how do I become a kingdom bringer, right? I think every kingdom bringer that wants to join us in this, whether it's around human trafficking or whether it's around extreme poverty or it's around homelessness or HIV AIDS victims, other groups that have been marginalized, foster care, there is so much going on in our midst here. So I just want you to think about this in your own context. But I think kingdom bringers must have three essential components. The first, we need to accept Jesus's redemptive power, Right? this is what I've talked about, where we can't do it on our own. It is clear that it's got to be Um, that it's Jesus who we acknowledge as being in charge and it's his power that we're leaning on. I thought I would just introduce you to the scripture of John 6. I know we've heard about the feeding of the 5,000 a ton of times, but let's think about it in a new context, okay? So you've got these disciples, they show up, there's all these people and what's so remarkable is that Jesus is actually the one, right, who turns to Philip and he says, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? I love that. Like really, you're Jesus and you're asking that question, okay? Then Philip says, it would take almost a year wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So really, I like Philip. He's kind of the one who's just the overseer. He's just kind of like claiming what is. But then there's Simon, and Simon says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far can they go among so many? So I love it. He names it that, hey, out of all these people, all we found are five loaves and two fish. And then his question is like, But, I mean, what are these among so many? I mean, he's kind of your guy that's like taking his Excel spreadsheet and like planning out what he's doing for the weekend. And he's really got this way of like just calculating, this is not going to add up, right? But the reality is, is that Jesus in that moment does not say, really? Like, that's all you could gather? That's it? Like, seriously? He says, have the people sit down. Then he took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish they gathered 12 baskets left over by those who had eaten. Now, what I love about this is Jesus did not stop at, seriously, that's all you have for me. Instead, he really, by saying, have the people sit down, he really said, like, give me what you have and I will take it from here. And what I love about that is in that moment, Jesus takes responsibility for the miracle, What I'd love for you to think about is we live in an age where it's like you do a video at school and everybody thinks you should put it on YouTube and get a million hits by tomorrow. People think that if you start playing the piano, you should be Mozart tomorrow. And the reality is that in the uh, sense of becoming a kingdom bringer, we have to be okay with starting small, with staying small, with understanding that there is something in the piece of a larger whole that we might be asked to do and to be faithful to that. But I love that sense, right? Right of Jesus just saying, what do you have and will you give it to me? Again, I'll bring it back just to the context of human trafficking. It is now a $32 billion industry a year. People ask me, why are people trafficking in humans? It's because they were trafficking in drugs and guns, and now they're realizing that they can traffic humans over and over and over and exploit people over and over. And what's so remarkable about it is people are making so much money at it, That is why it is becoming so intriguing and it is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. Again, if we do not look for Jesus to do the miracle in taking our work and multiplying it, then we're going to get squashed. But it's technically not up to me other than to bring my five loaves and two fish and say, what are we doing today, God? And so that's been one of my biggest lessons. And I know that in a culture that asks us to become, you know, thinks we can become so big tomorrow, I just think some of the most beautiful things are in the smallest things that are happening. And what for me, one of the other things is that we each do our own individual part and we ask for community to come around us in that. Spark has been part of that community that as we've been launching this BATC that I've really felt like I'm not standing alone in the fight against trafficking. Because anytime anybody comes up to me and they're like, oh, it's so cool you fight trafficking. First of all, I don't consider it cool. But the second thing is, it's just needed. But the reality is, it's such a big fight that unless people join me, then it's a fight where the bad guy's gonna win, right? It's a fight where that big, tall boxer can just put his hand on the smaller boxer and the other little guy's swinging like crazy and he can't even reach the belly. I wanna be able to reach out with the arms that come from a huge community of faith that can fight this issue and can send the message that the Bay Area is not gonna be a place that traffickers can do business. Amen. So uh, the second thing that I would encourage you, and again, this is just, I wanted to show you kind of some faces of human trafficking here in the Bay Area just so you can get a sense that, as I mentioned, residential brothels, domestic servitude, forced labor, and massage parlors have all been found here to exist in the Bay Area. And so this reality of us standing together as a community right here where we are um, is one of the biggest challenges and I believe calls of our generation the next thing that a kingdom bringer needs to have in their toolkit is definitely to not only accept Jesus's redemptive power, but you must be prepared to live and act differently, right? So much of scripture includes instructions about how to live as citizens of the kingdom, despite what the world around us is doing, right? So we can experience the kingdom when we love others, when we care for the poor, and when we treat ourselves with the same grace and love as God gives us. This reminder that we need to remember God's love not only for others, but for ourselves. This is a huge component when people ask to say, Betty Ann, can I join you in the fight against trafficking? Then they'll come up to me and they'll say, we're having a movie night next week at church and I wanna like have the right movie and so I've watched 12 movies in three days about human trafficking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna check you into a loony bin because that can actually really degrade your own sense of reality when you're hearing about all these crazy issues of darkness without sitting with someone in it or having somebody or having a counselor or having a small group or an accountability partner I really encourage people especially with the advent of YouTube you can overwhelm yourself with these issues around the world in about five minutes flat on YouTube and I really encourage people to take the time to enter into both prayer before they look at it as well as have accountability partners in small groups where people are helping them process what they're learning. But the reality is, is that um, Jesus in, well, I'd have to say in scripture, uh, God has actually given us um, a short list of a way in which we can act differently in the world. And what I love about this is in Micah 6, 8, this is an Old Testament scripture, you know, he says, he has shown me, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Now, you've heard people say this kind of gets broken down into justice and mercy and walk humbly with thy God. And, uh, and we can look at all three aspects of this. But what I love is we also live in an age where people are like, hey, did you do the Myers-Briggs? You know, I'm an ENFJ. Hey, are you an Enneagram? I'm a seven. Ooh, but when I'm stressed, I go to a nine. I mean, there's this whole lingo around these tests, right? Um, I've heard people tell me they're different colors, they're different numbers. I don't know. I just thought they were asking for what my middle name is. And the spiritual gift tests, people come up to me and they're like, you know, I'm just not oriented towards justice. You know, I'm so glad you're doing that in our church because I just don't know. And a lot of churches can start to have like a small group that starts focusing on justice issues. And you know what? I've heard of other people sitting in that same congregation who go, as soon as I hear about a justice issue, I just go, I'm so glad we have a committee that works on that. And the reality is this is a short list and a call to every believer. So this is not a spiritual gifts litmus test. This is not pick one of those three and kind of run with it. I'd really encourage you today to think about that, to pray and consider about um, the whole three, right? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. So it's been amazing, the Christian church in America has actually built kind of this model of response to the Micah 6-8. You hear of this passage getting used all the time, right? But what's amazing, uh, when I was working for International Justice Mission, I did a little study, and I went out there and I said, okay, all the groups around the world who are doing work in the area of walk humbly with thy God, basically like evangelism or spiritual formation work, um, and I said, how is the Christian response in America kind of trying to help in that situation? And it was about $2.7 billion were spent a year giving to organizations by uh, evangelical Christians around the country to say we care about doing that in our communities and around the world, right? So those kind of uh, groups that would be working on evangelism or spiritual formation, right? Like a Renovare or a, um, Athletes in Action or Campus Crusade for Christ, spreading the word of God. Um, but then you get to the, to the second, if I move up a line, right? Which is Love Mercy, And this is a bubble where you could say that uh, the response by North American Christians was like 1.7 billion dollars a year. So it was like, okay, this is Samaritan's Purse. This is Habitat for Humanity. This is World Vision. I'm going to sponsor a child. This is, I'm going to build a house on a Saturday. But again, it's building the house, not necessarily asking the question of why does that people group not have housing? Why are they always homeless? And so that area of loving mercy is about compassionately walking alongside the poor and saying, how many shoes can we put on the orphans? But again, so $2.7 billion for kind of these even, the spreading the word of God and walking humbly with thy God. 1.7 billion for groups that are trying to do the work of loving mercy. And you get to this part about act justly or do justice and you have a bubble that is quite unpopulated right now. It's the International Justice Missions of the World. It's Because Justice Matters up in the city. It's BWATC. It's um, groups that are much more local and grassroots-oriented. But right now, that overall budget is about $40 million a year. So you can even see that within the church and asking a question of where could I give my time, my talent, my money, um, to my tithe, to be able to be a part of God's change and bringing about the kingdom— There's been quite a response that we can now say there. Here's all these groups in which you can do this, and here's all these groups in which you can love mercy. But the question around how we really act justly and support groups that are doing that is really the question of our generation. And the reason I mention that is because it's the question the church is asking today. How do we, as Spark, actually walk in the journey of fighting something like trafficking? It's not go out and build a house on a Saturday. It's actually saying the question of could we look at our consumption habits? Could we look at the weekend we had fair trade chocolate and what kind of chocolate we're buying? That we know that chocolate chocolate is um, harvested by children all over the world who are held in slave-like conditions. And certain companies are utilizing that. So it's this question of saying, how can we right here where we are actually act justly? But I love just encouraging you to think about that because anytime you feel alone in this or wondering whether you're just kind of like, man, it seems like we can't, how do we sustain in this? That is the question that the entire church is asking right now. So it's okay to just say, I might not have all the answers. And again, we need to trust in Jesus's power and um, promise to lead us. So I just wanted to say that uh, my third piece is about how we need to pray about and consider our own sphere of influence. And one of the things that I always say is when I tell people about human trafficking and can say, you know, the reality is there's 27 million slaves in the world today. A lot of people look at me and they're like, thank you for bolting me to my chair in despair. I don't know where to go from here. And if I was in a Ferrari, you have just moved me from obliviousness to paralysis in about 2.5 seconds. We can move from obliviousness to paralysis, and all of a sudden just be like, you know what, I gotta go. And instead, I think the question is, you now don't know, I like to say you don't know nothing, but you can't do everything. And the amazing part for community and for us to ask today is as I'm on that trajectory between those two, how as a community, can we just do what we're called to do? And that's where I love it, because you kind of can't go back to knowing nothing. But you also can't say, oh, I've got it all figured out because this is the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. It is taking off at such a huge rate that I even spend so many days working on this and I am the first to say the best ways to fight trafficking are still out there to be discovered. So, I just wanted to say that as you hear about the crime moving from this global reality and statistic to hitting our local landscape here, to thinking about how the internet might even be bringing it into your home, I talk a lot in junior highs and high schools about um, the re- reality of, uh, oops, sorry, uh, the reality of the internet bringing and video games, bringing things into our um, kids' minds about the issue of trafficking that is really not good. And I would love to share that with some of the parents in the room if you'd like to come talk to me afterwards about some games to be consider, uh, concerned about. But I don't stop there, right? I say, you know what? The home is the very first place that you can actually start to do some action from. There are websites to look at like slaveryfootprint.org and you can actually put in what you own and it will tell you how many people around the world you may be keeping in exploited labor because of what you own. But it doesn't leave you there. It's not to shame you. It's to say, you know what? That is a reality in our world today. But now, right now, you can click on these things and you can send messages to those groups and that is how we are sending out a collective message that things need to change. And we are seeing that change. And so what happens is we start making these local changes and in our own spheres of influence. And that ends up then impacting the global scene. So I always tell people, don't always stay on the meta level of how to fight something, but really ask yourself, what can I do in my own community right where I live? So that is my third piece, is consider your own sphere of influence. And I love in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what I love about this is it actually starts with, you gotta start right here in Jerusalem. Like, you can't start around all the earth and then come back to Jerusalem someday. And I have to tell you that when I first went to work for an International Justice Mission, I was the only person working for them west of the Mississippi. So I was traveling all over the country. I was getting all sorts of freaking flyer miles. I was talking to churches from Seattle down to San Diego and over to Texas and beyond. And I'm telling you, it had its price to pay. My cat was schizophrenic because she never knew when to expect me. My uh, dishes were piling up. You kind of sit there and you justify how long can I go where my friends have stopped calling because I'm never in town. My parents actually sent me an email one time wishing me well, and I was in a completely different state than they thought I was. And I thought, you know what? This is not good. All of my solutions that I was talking to people at around the country of um, how to fight issues of injustice, how to keep them before you, how to be a kingdom bringer, was how do you do it in your own community? And how do you pray about this with your own church? And how does your own small group take one small step together? And here I was, completely disconnected from community, completely. When people saw me, they asked me when my next trip was. It wasn't like, hey, I'd call you in the middle of the night if I had a problem. It was, oh, when are you going to be gone again? And so one of the biggest challenges of my life and one of the best things that ever happened to me is I remember praying. I said, God, I wonder if I can still be a kingdom bringer, if I can still be about your justice, if I don't work for a full-time justice ministry. (laughs) So I resigned my position at International Justice Mission. I got a job that was much more local here in Menlo Park at the time and started doing the work of the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition before it was ever an organization. And that has been one of the most amazing journeys for me personally because it is so refreshing to say, I live in Redwood City. If I can't work to fight trafficking in Redwood City, then who am I to say we're going to do something on a grander scale? And so it is, and there was a place shut down for prostitution just two blocks from my house about three weeks ago. So there is stuff happening right in our own backyard, and we need to be looking among our own sphere of influence. So... Not only do we start at home, but we can also pray about how God's going to take us out to the rest of the world. As we um, close, I would love for you to just think about something. I want to give you a couple framework thoughts on how to be a kingdom bringer, and specifically how to consider how God might be moving you in the direction of all, like kind of helping you take the next step wherever you might be today. And that is to say that the issue of human trafficking is not the new, new issue. It's actually an issue that is bringing a lot of groups together because for a long time we have worked with groups in the area of homelessness and foster care and at-risk youth, right? Tutoring programs, after-school programs. There are so many groups that touch our Spark community including New Creation Home, tons of groups in East Palo Alto that are working with at-risk youth. Those are the populations that are now at risk of getting trafficked. So it's not that there's this new cadre of people out there that are human trafficking victims. It's all the marginalized groups that we've been caring about as the church and they are now at risk of being trafficked. If you're someone who's homeless and someone comes and offers you a dinner and it's got a milkshake that's spiked and they've drugged it and they get you in a car and they take you to Nebraska and put you in a situation of exploited labor where you're on an agricultural farm. You have no cell phone, no family knows you're there and you have no money to even take the Bus, if you need to leave, that is how a lot of people are ending up in trafficking. It's that they were already in an area where we may even have um, a ministry or a nonprofit that we've been supporting, and you could say, "Hey, do you guys have you guys been trained around trafficking? Because the very population you're serving might be trafficked." So, how do we work on that? So, I'd encourage you to just take a few minutes to just understand that this also can impact um, how we spend our time what we study and how we look at the internet and things like that and how this impacts our character, right? So when you say, Betty Ann, I want to be a kingdom bringer. What's the very next step I can take? You can ask yourself, right? This idea that Jesus is actually asking us to live differently. It's evaluating how you spend your time. What video games am I playing? What websites do I visit? The social activities I do. Could I even spend some of my free time actually working for um, a cause or volunteering somewhere? How do I actually take this into my prayer and say, God, help me to be a kingdom bringer? When it comes to studies, I love that you can just, you know, go online and find out about what you're purchasing. What about educating at-risk kids or volunteering in some way? And also looking at social trends. I have so many students come up to me right now and saying, oh, I'm writing a paper on trafficking, you know, and it's just fascinating. I'm like, can I just remind you, let's not make this an intellectual exercise. This is people being exploited in our communities. And let's walk with the reality of the data you're finding. These are actually people's lives and God cares about each and every one. The last thing is just how does this impact your character, or is this maybe something of a character change where you say, how am I treating others? Um, how might I reduce my own slavery footprint once I find out my connectivity with the issue? And how do you stand for those who are being mistreated? What do you do about a kid at school that you see as being bullied? What about some coworker that is, um, you know, just kind of shunned at work? What are you doing to actually say, could I be a kingdom bringer in those situations? And lastly, when people um, talk to me and they say, Betty Ann, just help me kind of understand how I can process this. Um, How do I take a big issue like trafficking that God, it obviously is breaking God's heart, and how do I um, really stand in it with God? And I say, you know what, it might be best to think of uh, breaking the issue down. Break it down into, are you more concerned about the prevention side? Are you more, are your skills and your interests more around uh, trainings and preventative things, doing internet safety trainings, looking at fair trade and how you can change your consumption? Are you hearing this message and you are like ready to break down the, the doors and be like, Betty Ann, I want to go bust some heads. Uh, come talk to me if that's your response. Um, I literally had someone last week tell me that they would like to put facial recognition grenades in front of safe homes and that when the pimps walk up that the grenades would just blow them away. I thought, wow, that's a first. Um, So I I needed to talk to that gentleman and actually find out if he had already planted any of those around our community. So I get all sorts of responses, but the intervention one is one to take very seriously. If you're interested in law enforcement, FBI, investigating hotels, restaurants, massage parlors, Um, you know, this is where IJM, the SOLD Project, other groups we work with are involved. And with aftercare, that is saying, Betty Ann, I want to actually work with the victims once they've been rescued and they are on the path of recovery. We want full reintegration into society for them and that means vocational training and how do we walk with them in their recovery journey. But lastly, as we take into consideration all these aspects of both the issue of human trafficking as well as what it means for your own prayer, about how you can be a kingdom bringer is just ask yourself three simple questions who do I know that might be close to this issue does somebody in the spark community come to mind does somebody working with at-risk youth or somebody like myself who's working on human trafficking that you could talk to and say what can my next step be the other thing is how does it touch other issues that I already care about and that's what we addressed about how does it touch maybe homelessness or foster care and the other thing is how can I break the issue down How can I be most effective and most focused? And that is where I mentioned prevention, intervention, and aftercare. So again, those are the three questions. Um, I would love to talk to you more afterwards. But the reality is, is that this thinking, this idea, this prayer around being kingdom bringers in our own spheres of influence is to really acknowledge that God has already brought you to a place where you are ready. You've got the muscles, okay? And this is something where it might be a prayer around where might I start to flex those, right? We don't need to be bodybuilders. We don't need to be having the big gleaming muscles with whatever you have. Whether you've just had an accident and you can't even move your legs or whether you feel like, man, I'm just stuck in a job or I'm stuck in a certain place. There is no doubt that God can say, man, I hear the heart of that believer and they are saying, I am depending on God to show me the kingdom. And in a sense, we look at God and we say, bring it. So the reality is when we see the injustice, someday is not soon enough. I really would love for us all to walk out of here today, not just waiting for a time when he's going to do it all for us, but that we can really bring about the change we hope to see in the world. So I would love to end today by just saying um, that I would love to pray for us, and I would also love to ask that we might continue that prayer of God, please don't have me be a bodybuilder just popping jam jars in the kitchen. Let's see how He uses our strength um, and also our weaknesses. To bring his kingdom about. I'm going to leave you with one thing which I feel like is kind of a step two or a 2.0 in what Danielle shared last week about the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is called the Lord's Prayer for Justice, and what it does is it takes every step of the Lord's Prayer, and it actually expands upon it to include how we can pray about injustices that are happening in our world. So as I pray right now for us, how about um, as those are just being passed around, let's just close our eyes for one second. I'll read one section of it and then I'll close our time together. Lord, thank you for your invitation to be on our knees before you, to trust you with the miracle, to understand how you might be saying, What do you have and will you give it to me? What does it mean, Lord, for me to be a kingdom bringer? How can we join together in that? Lord, help us to see where you're moving and thank you for the opportunity that we get to be a part of it. Lord, we do pray that your kingdom would come. Help us to create a world where beyond our own needs and hurts, we will do justice, love tenderly, and walk humbly with you and each other. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.